morning. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here this morning. I'm so glad you're, you've come to worship with us, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online. My name is Jimmy Cook. I'm one of the ministry leaders here at Fellowship. Uh, and this morning, we have all ages in this room from 5 to 85, however old. And that's a great thing because in the scripture, in Psalm 145, it tells us this. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. And then there's kind of a call and response from generation to generation. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of your glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. So we get to do what the scripture commands this morning. As all the generations are gathered here and we're worshiping together, uh, we get to, to commend God's greatness to one another. So if you would stand with me as we worship, we're gonna sing a song that we sing in Fayette Kids. So Fayette Kid leaders and uh, Fayette Kids uh, if you know this song, if you know the motions, you can lead out.
Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. My name is Tad. I serve on the student ministry team here, and it's uh, just a joy to welcome all of you this morning. It's a holiday today, so we got all the families together in this room, and uh, we're excited to worship together. Uh, quick announcement, Merge is going to be starting here soon. Merge is for, you can, I thought there'd be a date up there because I forgot it, so I'll just out myself. Uh, <laughs> uh, but if you are a seriously dating or engaged couple and you would like to talk about biblical view of marriage and just be in a group context that will help better prepare you for, for that amazing journey of marriage, uh, we would love for you to sign up for Merge. And so you can scan the QR code with your phone or look it up on our website at fellowshipfaithful.org slash merge. Would highly encourage that. Any Merge graduates out there that would recommend it? Yeah, come on. Hey, Caroline. Hey, Matt. <laughs> hey, my name is Aaron Parks, and I get to serve here uh, on our Fate Kids team with elementary and I just wanted to let you guys know that over the last few months, we have had so many new families here at Fellowship, and it's been really, really awesome to get to welcome all of these new families here to our church and to hear to our, uh, just our family here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And uh, some of them have maybe just started going to church again for the first time. Some of them, as I've talked with them, they've never really been to church before, and they're coming here um, looking to follow Jesus and looking to uh, just to kind of understand what it means to follow Jesus. And so it's awesome to get to welcome them. And we've got an awesome group of leaders that are serving over in Fayette Kids. And I would love for you guys just to get a chance to hear a little bit uh, about why they serve and some of just the awesome benefits they have as they serve in Fayette Kids. So watch this. been working in the pre-k center for three years now. And we serve with the pre-k ministry. Yeah, we've been uh, with it for about three years altogether now. Wanted to get plugged in since we were utilizing the, the kids' services. It's been a blessing um, for the last five years. And we've been serving in the early childhood and preschool area for two years. We started serving because we saw just the big need. Kind of a family affair. We all are kind of involved and we wanted to give back to our church that gave us so much. It's just a great way to be involved in our church. And, and I feel like service is an act of worship. And this is so much more than just dropping your kids off while um, the adults go to service. This is a place where the children are building their foundation, built in Christ. I think my favorite part about serving in the kids' ministry is every time we read a new story, like they get really excited. It's almost like an encouraging, you know, to hear those stories kind of with fresh ears. And going to church with like children just like kind of changes the way that you worship, I think. And we get to learn so much with those Bible stories for kids, but it's actually for any age, actually. Just being able to see those light bulb moments as we're sharing the story. Just seeing how much they change and how much they grow up, how much they learn. Just the relationships you make with other teachers as well is really fun. You get to meet new people and... Um, you know, serving is one of the best ways to meet other people that you're serving alongside. If you're really looking to go deeper in community, we definitely recommend uh, serving for that reason. See people from different seasons of life, whether you're a young professional or a young married, empty nester, or just different seasons of life. We would love to have people in those seasons come and volunteer with us. I would say many hands makes the load light too. You don't have to have a certain set of skills in order to volunteer, really just people who can come and love on these kids. And we have incredible leaders that have been serving for years that will walk alongside you. Step outside your comfort zone because I think when you do that, you're rewarded even more. 
and I wouldn't really ever consider myself like a kid person as far as like being a teacher. And I am able to help with the children's ministry, but I'm not with kids straight time and I'm working with the leaders. The curriculum is easy to follow. One of the biggest things for us is as coordinators just seeing kids turned away because we don't have enough volunteers. Um, you know, it's hard to see and hard to grasp whenever we see so many people who could do that in the church. You know, some of these messages are messages that are going to be taken with them their entire lives. And so you really have a good opportunity to impact them for, um, for forever. It's just a great opportunity to walk alongside these kids and be a part of their story from the very beginning. come back to Fellowship Fayetteville, we have the opportunity to welcome more and more of the youngest members of our family here. And so the numbers of kids that we're able to welcome each week just keeps growing and growing as, as families are coming back. And so I just want to invite all of y'all. help these kids and families love Jesus more. And so if you're interested in doing that, or if you just want some more information, or if you're like, hey, I just want to ask somebody some questions, you can fill out this thing at fellowshipfayetteville.org forward slash serve, and we will give you a call. And we can tell you more about it, and we want to make sure that we get you in the right place. Um, and so, yeah, just we would love for you to join us over there. It's a really uh, rewarding and awesome place. So today, we're continuing in Hebrews, and we're jumping into Hebrews 11 and talking about this great cloud of witnesses and as we do that, nothing gets me just more, uh, just, I don't know, in tune with who the Lord is and what's in his word than family feud. <laughs> I mean, it is just one of those things that family feud, it's just a spiritual experience for me. And so we are going to walk through a list here, family feud right here, places that you hate to wait So we've got the top six answers here on the board. We pretended to poll hundreds of people. And the top six answers are on the board right here. And so, places you hate to wait. So talk amongst yourselves. Where do, you, where do you hate to wait? Maybe shout some out, talk with the groups around you. The DMV, absolutely. Restaurants. Shout some more out. The ER. Waiting on someone to text you back. Ooh, yes. I promise I'll text you back later, Jacob. <laughs> All right, so here we go. Number six. Let's see what number six is. Ooh, slow internet buffering. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. The older crowd remembers dial up. The terrible noises of that waiting experience. Number five is theme parks. Waiting in lines for roller coasters. Yes. Is the worst. Yes. Number four, the restroom. You just really got to go, and it's hard to wait. I actually kind of saw a few people raise their hand. They're like, I vote for that one. <laughs> that, I like that one. Make that number one. What do you guys think number three is? The DMV? DMV. Restaurants. Let's see it. Restaurants. Restaurants. Nicely, Restaurants. Done. Nicely done. All right, number two. Number two, the doctor's office. Waiting at the doctor's office. Uh, my kids are heckling me from right over there. <laughs> the big number one. They don't mind waiting Who at the doctor's office, it? apparently. The DMV. DMV, number one. The number one, the DMV. One shout it out. <laughs> so as we think about places we hate to wait, we look at Hebrews 11 and see all of these people who are waiting on the promises of God. 
and we think about the things that we have to wait for. And we're gonna be digging into this chapter today and just seeing the way that God keeps his promises, even in the midst of waiting. And so if you would, pray with me as we begin to dig into God's word. Jesus, we're so grateful for your love for us. And thank you that we can have fun, we can enjoy being together, we can sing, we can worship. Father, I'm so grateful for this day that we are all gathered as a family of faith to sing and to worship and to listen to you as your Holy Spirit speaks to us. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak to our hearts. Help us to know you more. And may we continue to worship as a family of faith. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Aaron and Tad, doing their best, Steve Harvey. You know, most things in life we get better at by doing them, by practicing. You know, when I was younger, I was a trombone player. The more I played my horn, the better I got. The more I practiced, I got better at it. Some of you folks in this room, especially you younger people, you can type crazy fast with your thumb. It's amazing. How did you get so good at that? By doing it, by practicing it. But you know, there's one thing that we don't get better at by doing it. You can probably guess what it is. It's waiting. We don't get better at waiting by doing it. We get worse because eventually our patience starts to run out. Well, this morning, we're going to look at what's probably the most famous chapter in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. People call it the hall of faith. And what we're going to see is that all the people on the preacher to the Hebrews list, everyone that he mentioned in this chapter, they have two things in common, faith and waiting. And so what we're going to discover together this morning is those two things, faith and waiting, they're actually really closely related to each other. In fact, I would go so far as to say, God's people are a waiting people. They were then, and we are today, waiting. So turn with me, if you would, to that incredible chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. If you've got your paper Bible, go ahead and open that up. You can use your digital device. Let's get God's word open in front of us this morning. And as you're turning there, I want to say to you, happy Independence Day. You're the people who came to church on the 4th of July. I love you. <laughs> and those of you on the live stream, we're glad to have you joining us as well today on the 4th of July. I especially want to say a welcome to those of you who don't normally worship in here. So if you're an out-of-town guest and you're with us today or if you're part of our church family, but you normally worship in the student center or down in Fayette Kids, I'm glad you're here in the worship center with us this morning. I'm looking forward to engaging this together. My name's Michael. I'm one of the leaders here at Fellowship Fayetteville. I get to serve on the community team. And this summer, the Lord has led us to study the book of Hebrews. And he sovereignly gave us today Hebrews chapter 11, which is a history of faithfulness. On July 4th, the day that we celebrate the history of our country. And as we think about Hebrews 11, if you've studied it before, if you're familiar with it, man, we want to get right after it, don't we? We want to get in there and remember those incredible stories of Abraham and Sarah, of Moses, of David. We don't want to hang around in the foyer of the Hall of Faith. We don't want to visit the gift shop. We want to get right to the stories, and we're going to. But before we do that, and no, I'm not going to make you wait, 
I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, because the way the writer introduces this is important for us. He says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Some people say this is a, a definition of faith. I don't really think it's a definition as much as it's a description. He's saying this is what you'll see in a person who has faith. Now, he uses the word hope. And I think that throws us off a little bit because of the way we use hope. The way 21st century Americans use hope, it's, it's sort of wishful, like something we think could happen and we want it to happen, but it may not. I bet every single one of us at some point have said, man, I hope my team wins this weekend, but we probably won't. Or you've said, man, I really hope I get that certain teacher next year, but odds are I won't. That's not the kind of hope the writer to the Hebrews is talking about. He's saying that when we have faith, we are so confident about how things are gonna go in the future. We're so certain about the promises of God that we have this confident expectation. He says we're so confident that we feel assured about things that we can't see. We believe that those things are not just real, they're trustworthy. And then he's gonna give us a chapter-long example. It's as if he's gonna say, you wanna know what that kind of faith actually looks like in somebody's life? Well, let me show you. Look at verse two. He says, this is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what's visible. He says, if we look back, he calls them the ancients. He's talking about the people of the Old Testament. He says, we're gonna see they were commended, not for what they did, but for their faith. Because it was their faith that motivated their actions. And so as we remember these stories, Abraham and Sarah, Moses, David, we need to remember it's their faith that God commends. But before we jump into those stories, look who he starts with. Look who the first group of people the writer points to. It's us. It's us. He says, by faith, we. He's talking about the people who heard his sermon and the people who would read the sermon written down. Y'all, that's us. He says, by faith, we know the universe was formed at God's command. How did everything that exists get there? Well, God spoke it into existence. How do we know that? Were we there? No, of course not. We know it by faith. We're confident that what the Bible tells us is true, and so we're assured, we're certain. It's not a feeling. It's not a wish. It's confidence based on God's word. By faith, we understand. And with that statement, he's gonna begin to unpack what that faith looks like, and he's gonna use that phrase, by faith, 20 times. We always say in Bible study, if something's repeated, that means we need to make note of it. What if it's repeated 20 times? He's definitely making a point that all of this came by faith. And so we're gonna hear some of those stories right now, and I want you to listen for two things. I want you to listen for faith and for waiting. Caroline, tell us a story. Ever since Adam and Eve turned against God and brought sin into the world, 
the world has been very broken and full of sinful people. For years, God watched as his creation suffered the consequences of living separate from him. The people were cruel and mean to one another. They got sick and died. God's world was still full of tears and of heartache. The world was never meant to be like this, but God was getting ready to do something about it. He was going to make all the wrong things right, and he was going to do it through a family. So God came to a man named Abraham. Abraham was an old man, around 99 years old. He was married to a woman named Sarah, and they were childless, not out of choice, but because they were not able to bear any children. This deeply saddened Abraham and Sarah, and they had longed for a child for many, many years. God knew this about Abraham and Sarah, and he was delighted to bring them into his story and into his plan. God told Abraham that he was going to give him so many descendants that he wouldn't be able to count them. Abraham had a hard time believing this wonderful idea that God had told him. How could he have a family? Don't be silly. He couldn't have any children. What could God possibly mean by this? God responded to Abraham's doubt kindly and asked Abraham to believe him in the promise that he had made to him. Then God told Abraham about his secret rescue plan, that God was going to make Abraham's family big that one day Abraham's family would come to number more than even all of the stars in the sky. Abraham and Sarah were going to be the beginning of God's special family, his people. And through them, everyone on earth, including us, was going to be blessed by God. This was an incredible promise. God was going to rescue the world through Abraham's family. One of Abraham's great-great-great-grandchildren would be the child, the promised one, the rescuer, Jesus. Abraham couldn't believe something so wonderful could happen to him, but God assured him that when he promises something, it happens. So Abraham trusted what God said more than what his eyes could see, and he believed. Now when Abraham's wife Sarah heard God's promise, she just laughed to herself, but it wasn't a happy laugh. It had tears in it. It was sad. She'd always wanted a baby. Could her dream really come true? Could she really have a baby when she was 90 years old? No, of course not. Don't be silly. It was far too late. Sarah didn't always believe God could do what he promised. She'd forgotten that when God says something, it's as good as done. But sure enough, just as God had promised, Sarah eventually gave birth to a baby boy. They named him Isaac, which means the son of laughter. And Sarah laughed. Her dream had come true. Abraham and Sarah waited a long time for God's promise to come true. Sometimes they didn't believe what God promised was even possible, but God always follows through on his promises. He would always look after Abraham's family, his special people. And one day, God would send another baby, a baby promised to a girl that didn't even have a husband. But this baby would bring laughter to the whole world. This baby would be everyone's dream come true. 
Would you all stand and sing this with me? It's a song that talks of God's faithfulness in our lives. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me all my days. I've been held in your hand from the moment that I wake until I lay my head. I will sing of the goodness God, would you sing this out with me? It's all my life you have been faithful. It's all my
just a few generations after Abraham had died, his ascendants had increased greatly in the land of Canaan. But when a severe famine came, they, they traveled to Egypt to take refuge. And again, many years had passed, and his descendants continued to increase, continued to multiply greatly in number, just like God had promised Abraham they would. However, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he felt threatened by how numerous the Hebrews were. So, so he oppressed them. He, he enslaved them. He even went as far to make an order that every male Hebrew baby born had to be thrown into the Nile to die. So when Moses was born, his, his parents, they didn't know what to do. If they didn't throw him in the Nile, then, then they themselves could be killed. So by faith, they laid him into the water, but they put him in a basket hoping that God would send someone to rescue their little boy and save him out of the water. And that's exactly what God did. And, and guess who he sent? Pharaoh's daughter. So Moses was raised. He grew up in the palace of Pharaoh like a prince of Egypt. As Moses was grown he saw how his fellow Hebrews were being unjustly treated and enslaved by the Egyptians, and he knew that he had to do something about it. So one day, he saw an Egyptian beating an enslaved Hebrew, and Moses took matters into his own hands. He stepped in, and he killed that Egyptian, and he buried him in secret. But the Pharaoh found out, and he tried to have Moses killed so, so Moses fled Egypt into the deserts of Midian. Moses knew that his people were being enslaved. He knew that they were being unjustly treated, and he wanted to do something to help them, but he couldn't fix it on his own. So there in the deserts of Midian, Moses waited, and, and, and he waited, and he waited for 40 years and while Moses was in Midian, he ended up marrying a woman named Zipporah, and he worked as a shepherd for her father. And one day, as he was tending the sheep, Moses sees this flaming bush that, that won't burn up. So as he goes to try to get a closer look at this flaming bush, he hears a voice, Yahweh, the God of Israel, the creator of the universe, speaks to him and says, I'm sending Moses back to Egypt to save his people. But this time you will be successful because I, the Lord, will be with you to help you in this. Now, at first, Moses was afraid, but he knew deep down that this was something that he was supposed to do. So by faith, Moses went back to Egypt. Now, it took a long time of Moses arguing with the Pharaoh, and it, it even took God sending 10 plagues to help break down Pharaoh. But Moses was finally able to rescue his people out of Egypt. And as they were leaving, the Egyptian army began to pursue them. But God parted the Red Sea. He opened up a way. He allowed the people of Israel to walk through on dry land to the other side. But as the Egyptian army was coming through, they ended up being drowned as the waters came back down on top of them. It took a long time 
for Moses to see his people rescued out of Egypt. And it would take even another 40 years of him leading them in the wilderness to the promised land. And it was, it was difficult most of the time. But Moses was faithful. He waited on the Lord and he had faith that God would do what he had said he would. That Yahweh would bring his people, would, would keep his people safe from harm so that they would be a part of his plan to bring about a blessing to the whole world just as he had promised his descendant Abraham. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect.
David was one of Israel's mightiest kings, but he didn't start out that way. He didn't start in a palace. He was born the youngest son of eight children in a little town called Bethlehem, and he took care of his father's sheep. When he was 15 years old, God told David through the prophet Samuel that he would be the next king of Israel. But God chose him over his older brothers and anointed him with oil and gave him the promise that one day he would be king. But God didn't make David the king right away. David waited and waited and waited. In fact, it would be over 20 years until God fulfilled his promise to David. While David waited for God to fulfill his promise, he continued to trust God. God walked with David through a lot of hard things during those years until he became king. David was a shepherd, and one time God even gave David the strength to fight a lion and a bear and to kill them. Then David defended the honor of Israel and the one true God by standing up to a giant named Goliath, whom God defeated through David. David even showed great loyalty to a very jealous king who tried to kill him several times. During that time, David was so afraid that he would hide in the caves in the wilderness. God's promise to him, I'm sure, in those caves felt really far away. But David remembered God's promise and continued to trust God. David was also a songwriter, and his songs are like prayers. Many of those are recorded in the Psalms. And one of the prayers he prayed while hiding in those caves in the wilderness expressed his faith in God. It says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. David was confident that God would keep his promises. God gave David that song to sing to his people so that they would know that he loved them and that he would always look after them. And one day God was going to do something even greater that would inspire thousands upon thousands of new songs. God was going to show his people once and for all just how much he loved them. See, while David waited on God's promise to be king, he knew, David knew, 
that a greater king was coming. He would be called the king of kings. And just as God delivered David from his enemies, this great king would deliver God's children from their greatest enemy, death, once and for all. His hope in an even greater king helped David remain faithful to God. Because David had hope, he encouraged his people and us as well to wait for the Lord, to be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them revealed what he had promised, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect.
These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. They all got part of what God promised, but they all died waiting for God to ultimately fulfill his promise to bless the whole world through Abraham's descendants. Why was that? Well, the preacher to the Hebrews tells us. He says it was since God had planned something better. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. See, all those people in all those stories of the Old Testament, they all had great faith in what was next. They all had a confident hope that God would keep his promises. And he did in their time, but he did ultimately through something greater. And who was that something greater for? Look what he says. For us, for us. Remember how he began with, by faith, we. And now he ends with something better for us. The better thing, the greater thing, the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises for them and for us has come in the person of his own son, Jesus Christ. See, every person in the Old Testament died waiting for Jesus to come. And even though they didn't see that promise happen in their lifetime, they waited in faith and they didn't give up. And that, y'all, is the overarching application, the overarching encouragement of the whole book of Hebrews. Jesus is greater, so don't give up. Don't give up. That was the message for them. That's the message for us today. When things get difficult, don't give up. Several of us on the Fellowship Fayetteville team, we got to sit under the teaching of this really good pastor named John Unwachekwa. He's down in Atlanta. And what he said about this passage really stuck with me. He said, the saddest phrase you can hear a person say is, I gave up. Do you feel that when I say that? I gave up. My relationship with my family was hard, so I gave up. My marriage, it was hard. I gave up. Walking with Jesus was hard. I gave up. But he said there's one word, one word that can totally change that sentence. And that one word is almost. My relationship with my family was hard. I almost gave up. My marriage was hard. I almost gave up. Walking with Jesus, it was hard. Man, I almost gave up. And what John said was, when we have that word almost in there, it turns that sentence from a funeral to a testimony. Because when we don't give up, we give God a chance to work, to do what God does. And the writer to the Hebrews wants us to see here that God's people are awaiting people because faith requires waiting. 
I mean, think about it. You don't have to have faith when you've already got something, when you have it, when you can hold it. Faith always has a component of waiting for something in the future. So yes, Jesus has come. Something greater has come and we live our lives in light of that great truth. But we're all still waiting, right? We're waiting for him to return and set everything right. I mean, think about the stories we heard. Abraham and Sarah thought they were never gonna have a child. They almost gave up. Moses, he thought he had left the comforts of the palace for nothing as he spent 40 years tending the sheep. He almost gave up. David lived in caves and survived multiple attempts on his life while he was waiting for God's promise to come true that he would be the king. He almost gave up. And then there's us. We wait in our illness, in our broken relationships, in our financial hardship, in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in where we think, I may give up. The writer to the Hebrews says, don't give up. God's people are awaiting people because faith requires waiting, so don't give up. See, our future hope, the promises of God, we see it in verse 40, the promise that will be made perfect. That's what keeps us going so we don't give up. See, Hebrews chapter 11 is not all about looking back. It's not just a greatest hits album of God's actions in the past. No, it's a promise because what God has done in the past, he'll be faithful to do again in the future. Because faith is all about looking ahead. You know, when I was teaching my kids to ride a motorcycle, they would always want to look down at their foot when they were shifting gears. And looking at your foot while you're riding a motorcycle is a great way to hit a tree. And so what was I always yelling at them? Look up, look up, look ahead at where you're going. That's what the writer to the Hebrews is saying. Yes, it's a history of faith, but it's there so that we will look up and look forward to a better future. Because for those heroes of the faith, for Abraham and Sarah, for Moses, for David, yeah, it was hard, but they didn't give up. Instead, in faith, they persevered because they knew something greater was coming. And now, Jesus, the long-promised Messiah, has come and he's changed everything. Jesus himself said, hey, we're gonna have a banquet one day. You're all gonna be at my banquet table, but I wanna wait until everybody who's supposed to be there can be there. And so we're waiting for that day that we'll sit down at his table. And one day, as we're about to sing, the kingdom's gonna come and the church is gonna sing because Jesus is alive and he's won the victory. And so with confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see, we wait for King Jesus to move in our lives today, but ultimately, we wait for him to return in his glory to reign and to rule. And that, y'all, that is something greater worth waiting for. If you're able, would you stand with us?
as we sing about the one who is greater than anything, Jesus Christ, the one who came to fulfill all the promises of God. Rope and shadow, where sin and death did reign, the King of glory left his throne aside. The clouds of heaven opened, and mercy fell like rain dark and past future bright something greater something greater
church family, he's greater than whatever it is that you're facing, that we're facing today. So let's put our trust in him and in his promises. Hey, the prayer room is open through these doors to your right. If you want to go back there and pray, if you want to take communion together with your family, communion elements are there. We would love for you to do that. Hey, y'all have a great and safe 4th of July. We'll see you back here next week. We love you.